We're in the middle of a series uh, called Mind Blown. The idea is that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is preaching a Sermon on the Mount. And what he's going to say, the demands of a king that he's going to make on his followers and the way he's going to describe his kingdom and describe you and I is going to be very, very challenging. And the people who were listening couldn't believe that the authority he had when he spoke, and they could not believe what he was calling out of them and, and showing them the way to live, and they had a mind-blowing experience. We believe that as we look in these uh, verses and in these passages and really listen for the first time, maybe fresh and new, what Jesus was saying, we'll have a, an experience where he'll blow our mind again as well. So we've called the series Mind Blown, and each week we're going to give you a mind-blown moment of the week. This week... Your mind-blown moment of the week involves a little boy having his first experience with bacon. A little boy having his first experience with bacon. Check it out. Easton, is that good? <laughs> bacon. Bacon. Yeah. That's how it feels. That's how it feels every single time. Uh, there is a phenomenon that happens with parents typically uh, with their first child we're, we're overprotective and we're concerned and we won't take them outside. But after you have a few kids, it, things change. And the, 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 you know, the younger kids, the older kids are saying, I wish you had treated me that good, Wayne. You're just so lenient. You just have, you know, I mean, when your first kid is there, you're concerned about every germ, everything. By the time your last kid comes around, you clean most everything with spit. It doesn't even matter. You don't even care. One, you know they're resilient. And two, you're tired. You're just tired from all these kids, you know. And, and it really happens in grandparents. I watch my parents interact with my children and, and, and they just give them candy and they just give them food and they just get cookies for breakfast, anyone? And I'm like, who are these people? What have you done with my parents? It's true that, and hopefully true, we, we mellow with age. Unfortunately, this is the way we often look at the scriptures when we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament. You read through the Old Testament and you see, man, this dude is angry at everybody. I really prefer Jesus. He's nice and kind. He's a kinder, gentler version. I mean, he's so great and loving and gracious, but his dad can be a real jerk. Have you noticed that? You, some of you will avoid the Old Testament. I'm going to challenge you today to start reading and digging into the Old Testament. We'll avoid the Old Testament because it's difficult, it's troubling, and you can't get, listen, you can't get very far into it. I mean, six chapters into the book of Genesis, and God is saying, I'm fed up with these humans, floods the earth. 
and everything dies. All the people, dead. Children, men, women, pets, dead. This is your God. This is my God. Then we, we follow him through, and there's so many uh, experiences. that There was one time where Saul was told to kill everybody in a village, but he didn't kill everybody in the village. So Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, the one who speaks for God, comes to Saul and says, what is that neighing I hear out in the... No, bring me all the animals and bring me that king that you refused to kill that God said kill. And right there, the man of God cut him up. And the stories just go on, and, and you're reading them going, oh, my... How do I reconcile this God with this wonderful Jesus that I read about in the New Testament? There was a time when some people opposed Moses. Multiple times, actually, but this one time, Korah and his group of people had opposed Moses. Moses finally gets fed up and comes out one day and says, Korah, if you live to a ripe old age, then you'll know that I'm not a man of God. But if I am a man of God, look out. Let the earth open up right now and swallow you and your household. That's exactly what happened. Him and his buddies right there. And, you know, people started to scatter at that point. They didn't know how big that hole was going to get. And all their stuff fall in a hole and the earth covers them up. And then 250 people at that time who were following Korah get zapped by fire from heaven. The people are so disappointed and upset with this God who is in heaven. He's sending fire down and crispy. I mean, they're just people all over the place. Then he sends a plague when they complained about it. Another 14,700 people are destroyed before Moses and Aaron grab a scepter and go out and intercede and, and keep our God from killing everybody. How you doing? Well, can we talk about Jesus now? If we're not careful, we can just say, let's just get rid of the whole, the whole Old Testament. And let's just focus on who Jesus is. I wonder what Jesus thinks about that. This is one of the reasons that a a, a renowned atheist was quoted as saying this about God. He said, God is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. An evil monster and a cruel ogre. Which would be the appropriate atheistic reading of scripture if you read it without any faith in God or understanding. And so there's this temptation that we have. You know, Thomas Jefferson, our third president, he took 84 pages totally. He, he, what he did was he cut and pasted all the words of Jesus that he liked and made a little 84-page Bible that he had with him, the morals and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. These are the ones that he liked, just cut and paste. Well, isn't Jesus a good teacher? There's people who don't know anything about Jesus who you ask them what they think, and well, he was a good teacher. He couldn't have been a good teacher because they don't crucify a good teacher for teaching good things. He must have said something that was out of whack, out of line. All of his teachings must not be great. Anybody who says, oh, yes, he's a good teacher, they haven't read all his teachings Because if you read his teachings, there'll be part that you want to cut out and paste and like, nah, not that one so much, but yeah, I like this one, okay. And the Sermon on the Mount is a great illustration of this. The question today is, why not just get rid of all the Old Testament and why even have to bother with all that stuff? We just rip it right out of our Bible and deal with the more thin part and the part that just has Jesus in it. What would Jesus think if we were just to say, focus on him and just, just take it and just... In this one portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this very question. 
And it seems like an innocuous statement that he's going to make. But I want us to turn our, fo our focus and our attention to Jesus for a moment. Here's what he says. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Don't suppose for a minute, he says, that I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out, Jesus said, and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously and show the way for others, and you will find honor in the kingdom. Now, unless you do far better than the Pharisees uh, in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. There was this feeling even in the first century that there was a lower God in the Old Testament and a higher God in the second. What would Jesus say about this? Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. What does Jesus think about the Ten Commandments? He didn't add anything to him, but he's the only one that could do them. He likes the Ten Commandments. He likes God's ways and the law and the prophets. See, here's some things we need to remember about Jesus. Jesus studied and quoted the Scriptures. Your Savior, my Savior, Jesus, studied and quoted the Scriptures, and he didn't have access to the New Testament quite yet. You do understand that. He would go into the synagogues just like uh, Peter and Paul would, and he would open the scroll, and he would read from the scroll. When he was only about 12 or 13 years old, the only, uh, the only real story that we have of Jesus before he gets into his ministry is when his parents accidentally left him in Jerusalem. How many of you know you'd feel pretty bad about that? Son of the living God, Lord, we've lost your son. Could you help us find him? They go back to Jerusalem, they find Jesus, and where's Jesus? Jesus is in the synagogue talking to the religious leaders, asking questions and studying the Torah, studying the law. He's studying Scripture. When they came to him, Jesus did not say, oh, I'm so sorry, don't take my cell phone. He said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. His father's business was the Scripture. There was another time where Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. And then Satan came and tempted him. And when Satan came and tempted Jesus, Jesus did not speak in his own authority. Jesus did not say, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're dealing with right now? You talking to me? Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, it is written. It is written it is written, and he referred to and quoted from what he had memorized from Deuteronomy. Every single time he spoke to Satan, he spoke from the Scriptures. Here's the other truth we got to remember. Jesus found himself in the Scriptures. He found himself in the Scriptures. So one day after his resurrection, there was a couple of guys walking a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
Jesus hid himself somehow. He was standing there with them, but they didn't recognize him as Jesus. If you come back from the dead, I guess you can do whatever you want. And while they're walking, they're dejected and they're depressed because they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. They thought, oh, this, who knows what they really thought about Jesus. Did they think Jesus was just another zealot that had come to Jerusalem like so many others had? They have a, a few hundred people that follow him for a while and maybe they do something, maybe they don't. But these guys said Jesus was dead. They had no idea about the resurrection. And they're all sad and dejected and walking the road and here's Jesus walking with them. And Jesus says to him in Luke chapter 24, 27, Jesus said to him, don't you see? These things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer, and then only then would he enter into his glory. You didn't see this. Then he started, listen to this, Jesus started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scripture that referred to him. He likes the Old Testament because he's like, oh, there I am. Yep. That's me too. Isaiah, huh, blush. He's always talking about me. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, 29 of them in one day, that were written hundreds of years before he ever was on the face of the earth. We have to deal with those statistics. He finds himself in Scripture. It's like when you get your yearbook. <laughs> Who are you looking for? <laughs> you. And you're like, oh, I should have joined more clubs. And then it's real sad when they just have one picture of you and it's in that line of dorky pictures with everybody else and somebody already put horns on that one. You're like, I'm nowhere in here. Jesus could study the scriptures. One time he went into the synagogue and he read from Isaiah. And then he sat down and all of the eyes were looking at Jesus. And Jesus was able to say, though this was written hundreds of years ago by a prophet, it has been fulfilled today in your hearing. It's talking about me. And then they wanted to kill him. See, he wasn't just a good teacher. You could say he was crazy. You could say he called himself God and made people mad, but you cannot say he just went around teaching moral ideas. He did not just teach moral ideas. He claimed to be the son of the one God. And that's what got him killed. Because them fighting words in New Testament days. And he would often argue with the scribes and Pharisees. John chapter 5, 39 and 40, here's what it says. Jesus said, you guys have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. All these professionals in the law were studying the prophets, and they were studying Moses, and Moses said, there is one coming after me. But they didn't see that. And Jesus is saying, you're studying the scriptures, but I got news for you. If you've seen that, you've seen me. We're, we're one. I'm the word made flesh, and I'm dwelling right now among you. And they couldn't see it. See, this is the thing. Jesus is not only a part of God's story. He's the point of God's story. Jesus is not just a part of God's story. He's the point of God's story. So, unfortunately, I have to use the New York Yankee illustration. Oh, don't cheer. Ushers, 
Cincinnati fans? I'm just kidding. So Eric Ferris, our teaching pastor, is really excited. He told me how many championships they won, but alas, it escapes my memory. I don't know. The, the illustration is this. There's a dynasty in the Yankees. We can't deny that. And you could start with maybe Yogi Berra, and you could say Mickey Mantle, and you could say Joe DiMaggio, but the best of all time, Babe Ruth, right? So to build a dynasty, you have to have a history, and the history builds the dynasty, and they all kind of culminate. Without one, you don't really have it. You've got to have all of them. You following me right now? And so a New Testament scholar shared this with me, and this is so wonderful. You have the promise. Follow me now. God has a story. Whenever you go into class this coming fall, and if you take history, every time you see the word history, I want you to think his story. In the beginning, God. And God has a story. And it's his. And here's how his story goes. He made a promise to Abraham. Look at the stars of the sky. You're going to have descendants that are going to number the stars of the sky. There was a promise given to Abraham. Fourteen generations later, as described in Matthew chapter 1, There is the exodus, and Moses is given the law of God. This is part of his story. And then 14 generations later, there's King David, and there's the prophets and all the kings. That's a part of his story. And then in that same lineage, 14 generations later, here comes the man, Jesus Christ, the point of the whole story. Now, Jesus could look at them and say, well, am I here to destroy all this history? No, actually what happens is everything that's in Abraham gets put in Mo, Moses. From Abe to Mo. You don't lose anything. You're gaining Mo, right? Sorry. And everything about David, he doesn't destroy the history. He completes that history up to that point. This is where it gets really, really good, though. Because when Jesus comes along, He doesn't destroy Abraham. He doesn't destroy the law and the prophets. He doesn't destroy King David and all the history. God was writing his symphony of salvation for humankind. And his crescendo is Jesus Christ. And in him, everything is fulfilled. Everything is complete in Jesus Christ. so the Pharisees you can understand why they wanted to kill him they're arguing with him one day and they actually said this to Jesus you're a bastard child we don't even know who your daddy is in Texas they'd say who your daddy is (laughs) Jesus said your father is the devil this is a real like right say my mom I'm going to say your mom and it's back and forth How dare you? They said, our father is Abraham. And they go back in this history. They go back into the Old Testament. And they're testing him. They're saying, our father is Abraham. We don't know where you came from, Johnny, come lately. You're not even connected to any of this. Jesus' response to this is key. John chapter 8, 56 through 59. He says, very truly, I say to you, which you need to pause whenever Jesus Christ says that to you. He's about to swing for the fences. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. 
At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Not only did he invoke the name of Abraham, which they would have heard loud and clear. Oh, yes, Jesus said. Abraham saw me coming and was glad. They said, you're not even 50 years old. What are you talking about? You know Abraham. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, before Abraham. And then he invoked something that all of them would have understood completely when Moses was at the burning bush and God spoke to him. Go, let, go tell them to let my people go. Moses said, uh, who should I say sent me? And God said, tell him, I am sent you. Dude, when your name is I am, you're the bomb. (laughs) I don't even need, there's no name that could capture who I am. You know what? Just tell him I am that I am. That means I was, I is, I will be, I just am. Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders, and he said, before Abraham was, brace yourself, I am. Dude, they wanted to kill him right there on the spot. He's not a good teacher. He's a wild man. He's basically saying that through all of human history, the whole story culminates in him, that he's the point. He's claiming to be the savior of the world, God's only son, and the whole point of the story, that it all comes to a head with him, that when he's on the cross and he says it is finished, he's saying everything that needed to be done for salvation is finished. Everything that needed to be done for your freedom is finished. Everything that needed to be done to usher people into my kingdom is finished. Everything that needed to be done to cover the sins of humankind, to make a relationship with God completely possible, it's in me, it's in me, it's in me, it's in me. Man, I don't know about you. I don't want to serve anybody else. I want to serve the one that says, I am. And we say, yes, Lord, you are. He said, do you need peace? He said, my peace I leave with you, not like the world gives. I am your peace. He said, do you need joy? He said, I said all of these things that your joy may be complete. I am your joy. Do you need salvation? I am your salvation. Do you need freedom from addiction and bondage? That's what I've come for, Jesus said. I am your freedom from addiction and bondage. What is it that we need? Hear him say to you today, I am. I am. I am. I am your healing. I am your healer. I am your joy. I am your pastor. I am your shepherd. I am the lover of your soul. I'm the one who holds your future. Listen, you don't need to worry about your story. It's not your story. You know, it's not, it's not our story. It's his story. Our story begins when we get our life in line with his story. You may be worrying what your story is. Every story is the same. You're either lost or you're a part of the story. But there's only one story, and it's his, and it's through his son. So what I want to do with my life is I want to brag on how awesome Jesus is. We've only scratched the surface and how wonderful he is, but I want to take all of who I am and just put it in him. Jesus fulfills God's ultimate checklist. God was looking for somebody who was holy, blameless, pure, righteous, obedient. And it was yes, 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 yes. He fulfills every checklist, everything on God's checklist, fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says everything in Jesus is yes and amen. I want my life. See, this is the beautiful part, is that we can, by believing in Jesus Christ, we can then put our life 
in him. We can be in him and a part of God's story. And he can work that out in our life. I wonder where you're at today. I wonder where you're at in all of your life, in your mind, in your strength, your marriage, in your work, and all. Man, we're busy. In all of the busyness, it's good for us to pause for a moment together and just ask ourselves, Lord, is there anything I need to give to the great I am? Is there any part of my life that I'm really concerned about or maybe holding on to, worried that he can't handle, that I just need to put in him? He's able. If you're willing on the inside, he's able. Would you stand with me? And we're going to close in prayer. Before I pray, I want to remind you, they gave me a cheat sheet here. I want to remind you that there's free ice cream. I probably don't have to say that twice. Um, and there's some events for kids that are right near the building. In a church our size, this is as close as we come to a church picnic. And I love church picnics. I wish we could have one every weekend. So I'm going to ask you to hang around and have fellowship and, and be with one another. There's, there's bouncy houses, that sounds really odd uh, to say, uh, right near the building. And then what you need to do is you need to follow the sidewalk around to the student union and to the healing center, and there's where the free ice cream is, and there's trucks that have food. The food in the trucks is not free. Please don't just take it as such, okay? That would look bad on the church. Uh, but there's all kind of games and fun, and we'd love for you to stay around and be a part. Before I pray, would you be willing just to put your hands in this way? just as a sign of surrender, and we'll just give the Lord everything in our life. Sometimes I don't even know all I need to, to give to him. Father, uh, I'm going to lead us in a, in a closing prayer, if you'd bow your heads with me. Father, we have our hands in front of us here, just as a simple sign of, of surrender, really. There's things that we worry about. There's fears that we have. There's concerns that we deal with every single day, and, and Lord, most of us live very, very busy lives. But I want you to hear our heart today, Father, saying, we want everything in our life to be in your hands. We want to be in you and have you in us and be a part of your story. That's our heart's desire and our heart's cry today. We pray that that would be so. And we thank you, Lord, by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you have a great time today. God bless you.